Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back once again, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. This is, I, I think this is episode 170. I might, I don't know, I might look like an idiot when this comes out because I can't remember. But on the line, I've got uh, none, under, none other than the ginger bow hunter himself who will be working late into the night cleaning shell crackers how you doing jacob oh i'm excited <laughs> i'm excited man what, what's your situation dude just got a handful of a, a lot of fillets and a lot of fillets Sounds like you got um, more than a handful oh yeah i got a lot man i'm so excited like listen this is the first time i've been able to go out and actually catch a bunch of fish to clean and uh, i've been very impressed with the flays you can get off especially like good sized bluegill in these freaking hogs of these shell crackers so yeah, it's it's been exciting, man. Because I'm now right now I'm just waiting for these these crappie the crappie to move back a little bit deeper so we can get them at the get them at the marina. Uh, but yeah, man, it was a blast this freaking weekend. So got a lot to do tonight. I gotta clean up all the flays, um, and then be able to get everything bagged up, ready to go. Some of them are staying fresh. Some of them are going frozen. And I think uh, tomorrow or Tuesday, I'm going to do some uh, fried fish tacos and grilled fish tacos with them. 
with special mm. coleslaw, kind of make them spicy with some kind of like really smooth, creamy uh, sauce going top. Son. So it's killer. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm I'm jealous. So. Yeah, you've had a pretty good weekend up there. I've been packing up all my stuff for a couple of days because I'm fixing to move. Uh, so I haven't done anything remotely fun in the last couple of days. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of my situation. But uh, yeah, you got up there, um, and we you have gone up to Gunnersville several times. I haven't been up there yet. Which, by the way, listeners, we will be talking about deer stuff here in just a second. But Jacob was too fired up about these fish to not talk about it. So we're gonna we're gonna move on to deer here in a minute. We're gonna talk about things to scout in the summertime that'll actually be useful this fall. Um, but before we start talking about that, you have been up to Gunnersville several times, haven't been catching any crappie, and you decided to uh, switch things up because the crappie just weren't there. So uh, how'd that go for you? It was awesome. It was really awesome. I mean, the biggest thing is. You know, because my work schedule is kind of hectic on when I actually have time off, so it's hard to plan stuff. And uh, I just knew this weekend was going to be off, so I went up with there with a mindset of actually trying to catch a bunch of catfish. And uh, it looks like most of the catfish are now going to spawn, um, uh, you know, around some of these either rockier places, um, just, you know, not where I'm at, lo- um, you know, located at. And uh, came back, and I didn't even want to try to catch crappie because I knew the crappie. I was talking to some guys online that crappie fish up there, and they were still catching crappie in fairly shallow waters. Um, so didn't really want to deal with that and just was looking around. And, man, the the, the bluegill in this brim spawn has been crazy, which, I mean, it always is in May. And uh, it was a blast, man. Just went out there and uh, decided I want to try to catch them on artificial, which I haven't done in a, in a long time. Most of the time. I want to catch a bunch of brim and go find some cr- go get some crickets and a bobber but uh there's a little roadrunner spinner jig uh with a little this bass assassin um trailer it was awesome it was so much fun i mean those suckers you set the hook home on them because the one thing i've realized again it's been a while since i've actually tried to target brim is their mouths are so much more bonier and just harder than like a crappie because i give you crap all the time the way you set a hook on a crappie because <laughs> Trying to rip his lips off. <laughs> but play dude, games. <laughs> dude, those big, those big shell crackers. I mean, like big, you know, thirteen-inch shell crackers are bigger. I mean, you had to drive that sucker home. It was like bass fishing, dude. It was so much fun. And, you know, fishing in you know five, six feet of water, casting out there. And I mean, when they hit, you know, the, the probably the most fun was, you know, having to watch the line while you're reeling in. And the, I mean, if you see that line, there's normally like a slight bend in your line. It's a slight bend. If you see that line go tight, but you don't feel nothing, you better set the hook because he's he's grabbed it and starts swimming with it. And uh, oh my god, dude, it was a blast. I was so fired. <laughs> Thank you, man. But uh, yeah, it. I, I I quickly went from you know loving crappie fishing, which nothing wrong with crappie. I mean, I normally just because of the time of the year, normally just catch them on minnows, which isn't all that exciting. Um, but dude, throwing a small jig around um, for brim was such a freaking blast. I mean, caught a couple of little bass as well today, dude. It was it was just a freaking fun time. Plus, they're I mean, sizable, sizable fish. Which again, when you flay them, I mean, I'm I've been very impressed with the the meat you're being able to get off them. Uh, it just is very time consuming. I see why guys uh, that target you know pan fish use electric knives, especially when you get you know you know, 30, 40, or 50 of them that you're cleaning because a regular knife trying to, you know, be careful with it, you know, clean to the best of your ability. Uh, you know, you get a lot, to me, you get a lot of meat off of them, uh, but it takes a long time. 
So that's what I got dealing with uh, later on this evening. So I'll probably be up to close to midnight finishing that up. But hey, it's gonna be worth it. So I'm excited. I'm excited for some fish tacos. I'm telling you, dude, that fish taco is gonna be so good. I'm gonna have to post some videos on that. Yeah, man, it's delicious. Jealous. I'm very jealous. Very, very jealous. Yep. That makes me want to go fishing this week. I got uh, so I start I start my new job on June first. So I got a little bit of downtime between now and then. Of course, I got to move. Uh, but in between the moving, I'm going to be doing some scouting and hopefully get out in the creeks a little bit, do a little bit of creek fishing. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm going to try and go uh, canoeing uh, on the Cahaba with Clay later this week. We're going to go down there and try and catch some bass. Maybe, maybe it depending on how much free time I got, I might set some uh, trot lines or something. I don't know. We'll see. It's been a while since I've been able to set trot lines, but that's something I love doing. I don't know if you've ever done that, but... You know, running limb lines and trot lines, we, we'll we do it on foot most of the time just because it's a hassle to get a boat out. So we'll run down the river and uh, set set limb lines. And then once the water gets warm enough, which it seems warm enough right now, we'll just jump in the river and uh, swim across to the trot line and, and bait a trot line across the river. And that's always a good time. We, we usually clean up on the catfish pretty good. So I might do that. I don't know. I need to, I need to continue to diversify the freezer. Um, yeah. Because I just got – I got – uh, I got four turkeys in the freezer. I got one pig, and I got four deer from last year. So I had a good year for sure. I'm not hurting for meat. So this whole coronavirus meat shortage thing, ha, not me or you. Um, but I need to. I, w- I want something different because you know eating like meat every single night. I want some fish throw in there. Just switch things up a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh dude, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's what I love about. I mean. I was telling some of my brother's girlfriend was over today and I was cleaning fish and she was actually kind of interested in it. I don't think she's very, um, you know, into the outdoors as in like hunting or fishing, even though Christopher took her hunting last year. She shot a, actually a really good buck. <laughs> <Of course laughs> her first year ever. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, it was hilarious because Christopher, you know, you know, Oh, okay, I won't talk too bad about him, but my brother Chris. Do it, your brother. You, you can talk all the smack you want. Well, he's your brother. He can't. He, I let him try to fillet a fish. He was talking all this crap about how he can fillet fish. I've never seen him play fish in his entire life. And uh, I was like, all right, here, take this knife and uh, do it for me. And he has a seven-inch fillet knife. I'm like, go after this bluegill. And I gave him one that if you messed up on, I'm like, okay, I can salvage the other side, whatever. Dude, I swear he tried to dole that blade so quick, just cutting right dang through the thing, <laughs> through the ribs, just like you would with an electric fillet knife. Oh my god, it was hurting me, dude. I was like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> oh man, but, but no. Nah, anyways, but uh, it was it was just kind of cool, kind of get back on topic. It was kind of cool, uh, you know, flying fish, and you know, she was looking at the meat, and she's like, those would be awesome. She actually was the one that brought up the fish taco. She's like, oh, th- that would be awesome for fish tacos because the size of the fillets and everything. You get one or two fillets on a taco would be fantastic, and I was like, that would be killer. And plus, it's like a really light, flaky fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was her whole thing was like she was just thinking of the food aspect of it, which is awesome because that's one thing that gets me extremely excited about hunting and fishing. Is yes, you know, I, you know, I like to kill a deer, I like to catch a lot of fish, but I also like eating them, and I like to be able to do it all myself and not have to you know rely on someone else or you know process or anything like that to be able to do it for me uh, to get it you know ready to cook. So. You know, whether it's deer and keep it in large chunks, whether I'm going to grind some of it later on or if I want to cut the steaks or whatever we want to do, um, or fish. I mean, literally, I've got a freezer right now. I have one deep freeze. was well, a standing freezer um, that is slam full of deer meat, 
in catfish and crappie fillets right now. And it's about to be full of some, uh, some, you know, panfish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's exciting. And I love that aspect of it. So it was kind of cool to see her kind of get excited about it as well for the food aspect. Yeah. That's like Tiffany, man. Um, and for anybody who might be new, Tiffany is my wife. Uh, she has, she's deer hunted with me before. She almost killed a deer one time. Uh, she's killed squirrels. Um, she's helped, she's helped Ex- me clean. Executed. She, executed mm, squirrels. I mean, cold blood. <laughs> kind of, I was kind of raising eyebrows like, oh man. Um, so she's, she's done that. She's cleaned a deer with me. She's plucked a turkey with me. She's actually cleaned a turkey with me too. Um, she has cleaned squirrels. She's done all kinds of stuff. Um, I took her turkey hunting. I took her out to roost turkeys one time this year. I uh, took her actually turkey hunting one time. Uh, and she enjoyed it, you know, but she's she's like that too. She's like, she's like, yeah, I'll go with you every once in a while, but she's much more interested in the food aspect of it. So she'll help me, like like I said, pluck the, the turkey that we're saving for Thanksgiving and, and that kind of stuff. And the other day she's like, hey, can we go fishing soon? I'm like, heck yeah, baby, let's go. So I'm going to try and take her down to a creek or something because that's a – that's a pretty good, I mean, that's a, a fun activity. You get to go and get down in the creek. It's nice and cool. Uh, and back where we're from, we like to target red-eye bass. Um, and you'll catch, you know, like a little, I don't know, like six to eight-inch bass or something like that. Twelve inches, a big one. Um, and those things make great, like what Kevin Murphy would call a whole fry. So you just scale it, you know, chop the head off, gut it, scale it, and you just fry it whole like that. Man, that's some good stuff. So that's what I'm looking forward to, and that's what Tiffany's wanting to go after as well. So I see some of that in my future. Awesome. Yeah, I kind of wish we lived in an area that had more smallmouth bass because I've heard so many good things about, you know, how well they taste and just, you know, it's a really meaty fish. Uh, so I'm kind of jealous when you always see, you know, Jonathan Bone or, or Cat Outdoors um, and um, Adrian up in Tennessee, and they're catching them all the time. These smallmouth. I'm like, dude, I'd love to catch a couple of those dude in flame and just try it out. Um, and I know some of the, the other bass fishermen on here are like, why would you do that? I'm like, Listen, <laughs> I mean, you could eat some of them. Come on now. Um, it's part of management. But no, uh, yeah, dude, the, just the whole aspect of like summertime is, is exciting. I know we had a couple guys. Um, comment on one of the posts we talked about like get ready for deer season like oh man fish season's coming up i'm like that's a good point but you know you can always scout and think about what you're doing this fall you know while you're out there um you know fishing or making time for fishing and also you know get making time for scouting so Mm -hmm. um, yeah that's one of the things i like about creek fishing especially is because i creek fish on in a lot of the same places that i hunt i mean you don't have to have a big creek to go out there and wait it to creek fish i mean you'd be surprised at the kind of bodies of water you could pull a decent sized bass out of. Um, but man, I've seen some, some of the coolest stuff ever, uh, in the summertime, like wading these creeks and it's just silent and you're down there fishing, you know, catching fish every once in a while, but you're observing everything around you. And, uh, I've had one time years ago on the, on the place that me and you hunt, Jacob, I was walking up this creek. I was creek fishing in the summertime. And this is like this only the second or third year that I was hunting out there. And I'd found a set of shed antlers, like a big set of shed antlers. They're actually the first shed antlers I found. Uh, and so I like, I'm like, okay, I want to kill this buck. Obviously I want to start hunting him. Cause now it's like, okay, I found a big buck out here. That's the first like big buck I'd found on public land. And so we had our trail cameras out everywhere and we named this buck honey bun. Cause I like honey buns. <laughs> and uh we got some trail camera pictures of him and i went out scouting 
and or I went out fishing one day and I was wading that creek and I saw that buck while I was fishing the creek. I had like a very close encounter with him, unalert. It was really cool. So that's just another reason to get out there and uh, do the whole creek fishing thing, man. It's a lot of fun. And you get to scout all the creek crossings because it's really easy to find them when you're scouting because, you know, you're walking straight up the creek for a long time and you can find exactly where those big worn out trails are. Well, that and also you kind of understand, you know, especially in places where it's kind of steep, you know, the banks and everything, like you said, with the creek crossings, but also, you know, if there's any paralleling trails or, you know, finding, you know, really good acorn uh, or, you know, different oaks, uh, and also maybe possible persimmons in some of those areas. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really good point. You just gotta keep your eye out for snakes, man. That's, that's the one thing about creek fishing. I've done a little bit of creek fishing, but I've had way too many encounters with, uh, uh, oh, Mr. Mr. No shoulders. Well, like a water snake, I'm, I'm cool. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, regular water snake, like diamondback water snake, you know, the suckers are aggressive, dude. Um, which are extremely common around here and they get very big. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, had a couple too many close encounters <laughs> with the mortar marks and, you know, sitting by a log or stuff like that. I'm like, hey, bud, you know, always double, triple checking before you sit down or even, you know, take steps around some of that stuff. But, oh, yeah. Anyways, anyways. so what's our topic for today that we're going to try to you know, dive deep into? So, um, as we approach the summer months, uh, by the way, Everybody, thanks for writing in for guest recommendations. I need to look again, but I think we got like 15 people that we've got in mind so far. Like 15, like show enough killers that we did not have on last year. So this is 15 brand new people we're really excited to get on. Um, we'll probably go ahead and start doing some of them in the summer um, rather than wait till the fall. But thank you for those recommendations. Please keep uh, writing them in. You can... Uh, Email us at thesouthernoutdoorsman.com or reach out to us on social media, and uh, we can try and uh, get whoever you recommend on and cover these topics. But today, we've had topic uh, recommendations for like summer scouting, and this has kind of been an ongoing subject with me and you, Jacob, for a while um, about scouting in the summer, because for so many years, uh, now I kind of wish our, my buddy Zach was on right now, because he, he, me and him, just for years, man, we scouted all the time in the summer i mean like hard hard scouted all summer and it's like we never had any success based off the scouting that we did in the summertime and i think i know why um because you know of what we did last year panned out a little bit better but i mean i guess that's going to be the topic today summer scouting and things i guess it could be things not to do but also things to look for i guess things that are actually meaningful to find in the summer that, that are going to be useful this fall yeah, that, that's absolutely key because I think too many people get stuck on um, the aspect of finding deer sign now, which is not going to be in most situations where they're going to be, you know, come time season opens. Uh, you know, even in places like Georgia, which I think is opening up on the 12th this year of September, um, and then uh, Kentucky, which is always, you know, uh, very, very early September normally when it opens. Um, you know, you can still find summer patterns, but the thing is like in other States that are opening up a little bit later on, uh, in the fall, a lot of things you find this summer aren't going to pan out like that, especially when it comes to, um, you know, hunting public land in areas where, um, you know, you might be scouting what you might think is thick right now, but come this fall is not even close to where the deer are wanting to be when it comes to actual the thickness of cover. Uh, and just the security that they're looking for, especially 
you know, once hunting pressure uh, starts. Uh, so that'll be uh, key. And we'll we'll kind of cover that as well today because uh, that's something that I know you've had experience with and I've completely had experience with as well, just how much that stuff can change. Um, and you kind of get a new perspective on that as well, uh, which is going to be very key. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this is something that's been really fresh on my mind lately because of that project I told you about, which we're going to keep from the listeners for right now. But um, I've been working on something lately that has to do with scouting, and it's been on my mind a lot um, about how to like how to make the most of your summer because in the summer I always feel, especially after you know several years of having a really hard time finding anything useful in the summer uh, or finding stuff that I thought would be useful, but then in the season it just didn't pan out. So I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to waste these months because like we have free time that we can go out and use in the summertime to try and make a better fall. So it's like, what, what can I look for? And one thing that dawned on me, like a quick, I guess a quick story about, um, like the importance of knowing different areas that you, as backup plans or whatever. Last year, you remember when I killed my buck, right? Yes. And in, in the thicket that I killed it in. So originally, and I didn't even realize this until I started working on that thing. Uh, originally, I was planning on hunting where the thicket that I killed that six and a half year old doe out of the year before, where the one where JT helped me come find her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was planning on hunting that. I scouted it in the summertime. I ran cameras in there. I did this. I did that. And I like prepare. I put all my chips in that basket. And then. It got to be like that early December time frame where I could go hunt it, and it was the rut, and I had like, I can't remember, it was a couple days, it was right before my wedding, I had like a weekend to go and hunt that, like three or four days. I go up there, and it's the wrong wind direction, and I like could not hunt that thicket, like I couldn't access it at all without blowing it out, so... It came to plan B, and thankfully, like, me and you put our heads together, and we're like, oh, what about this thicket over here, and you went and checked and found tracks, and so we were able to get back on deer really, really fast, even though, you know, my original spot was pretty much ruined by the wind, so I think that's one thing this summer that would be good to focus on, is kind of scouting uh, meaningful features, I guess you'd call it, uh, that are going to be useful this coming fall, so it's like, what, what features can you look for, whether it be like a a vegetation feature or or a topography feature or something like that that actually it's not going to change between between now and you know when we can actually hunt the deer yeah i think that's a really good point and i think you know in our region of the country which is different from you know some of our listeners especially any ones that are you know you know farther north than us especially on the east coast up in the appalachian mountains uh, or out west um, but in this area, you know, probably one of the biggest features, I think that is key to kind of finding those deer, uh, from our personal experiences and also a lot of our other guests is these areas that are thickets or, or thick areas all year long, which would be in this area would be cutovers or regeneration pine plantations, um, you know, at different stages of the growth. So that's something that I know that we're going to try to focus on more so this year, uh, even more so than what we did last year. And last year is when, you know, we kind of put two to two together and realized that. But this year, I think this summer, finding some of those areas that are at the right age for what we're looking for also has the right access, I think, for us, which is going to be key. I think the, one of the biggest things for us this year is finding places that we can access, you know, one area from different directions. I think that would be absolutely key 
uh, just for one reason, so you can learn a little bit better, so you can try it on different winds and see how it actually is uh, with the deer activity, but also gives you different ideas. If someone's possibly, you know, you get someone hunting on one side of it, like, okay, I think the deer are going to move over here, and you'd be able to come in from the backside or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that that would be critical. Um, you know, for that, you know, terrain, I'll say the terrain features, you know, to me, terrain features are only as good as the vegetation around it, personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to go hunt a saddle in a wide open like um you know there's a wide open field or anything like that um i kind of like what josh driver talks about kind of going back to josh driver which we're gonna have to have him back on soon and we um, reference him so much it's like every single episode we reference him i feel like well because he's spot on you know his whole thought process of compounding terrain and vegetation features is so critical to actually understanding what does it take to be able to find deer just by looking at the map but also be able to find deer consistently. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, Josh, I tell you what, Josh is the only, we've had a lot of good guests and I've learned from all of them, but Josh, he's the only person I've ever talked to on the show where I went out and tried his tactics and like almost instantly was like, Oh wow, that works. And I'm them. not trying to sell you something cause I'm not making any money off that episode. <laughs> it's just like, man, uh, seriously, when I started using his stuff, I mean, it's like a, a light switch. I mean, I started getting on deer way more regular. After, you know what, in fact, I'll go out on a limb and say that uh, after I killed my buck, which my buck was like the first hunt that we were like really using Josh's tactic, or I was really using Josh's tactics on, went out and killed that buck. Every single hunt after that for the rest of the season, minus maybe three, I saw deer every single other hunt. Uh, So, dude, he made a huge difference for me. Yeah, I think he had one of the most impactful episodes that we've ever done uh really and i told him while we were doing the episode i mean literally if you go back and listen i think it's episode 141 or something like that um and i think it's uh hunting a buck's core with josh driver that mm-hmm. episode during that episode i tell him while we're recording that hey josh you know because he was saying about how simple you know the process was for him to find deer like it's not complicated i might you know, it's important for you to explain that, even if it's that simple, because there's going to be someone out there right now that thinks, hey, they can use this and go and have success doing this tactic. And we had two listeners that Saturday <laughs> go out and kill. I know one of them, I think it was his biggest buck ever. It might have been both of their biggest bucks ever on public land um, using their tactics, They're using Josh's tactics. I mean, it's that crazy. And, you know, we had so many listeners success stories come in about Josh Driver's episode about again hunting compounding features looking down on the map and going in almost kind of blind in some situations which again you know it's always great to have eyes on the area before you go in there but sometimes just by happens you know you might have to go in blind which again i kind of enjoy that um especially if you've got an afternoon hunt um but you know there were so many guys that we had success you're using his tactics is kind of crazy but that's something that i think we're taking to heart as well a lot for this season you know, when it comes to scouting this summer, it's finding areas that have the compounding features and the vegetation that's going to hold those deer. So if you can find, you know, like what we're talking about, you know, these these pines that are, you know, six, seven, eight years old, um, that have the right kind of vegetation below, they're not, what's the terminology, Andrew, when they're, um, the uh, canopies are touching? Stem exclusion. Okay, and I'll just call shade it out, whatever. It's, yeah, you know. dude, yeah, shading out, that's the easier easier way to say it. Think of it like stem exclusion is, is when the the dominant tree, but which in that case would be pines, or if you're in like 
Missouri or Tennessee or something, it could be Cedars, um, when their canopies touch and shade out everything, they're excluding every stem beneath them. So they're even pruning their own limbs because the lower limbs don't get any sunlight, so they're dying and falling off. So that's called stem exclusion, and it looks like a green carpet on the map. That's how you, that's how you know that it's probably a barren wasteland underneath. Yep. But again, you know, finding areas that are the right age, you know, especially we're talking pines here, you know, kind of deep south, uh, southern Texas. But again, you can, you know, I guess, you know, other areas of the country, uh, especially if you're if you live in an area that they're doing timber. I mean, Andrew, you're, you're again, you're the forestry, you're the forestry guy. Uh, for the most part, again, if, if there's timber activity, it's pretty much always replanted in pines for the most part, especially in the southeast, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. Up north, you might have different tree species, but I'm not super familiar with, like, northern timber practices. But in the south, it's more than likely going to be the loblolly pine. So, again, you know, that is something that I always take into consideration as well um, when hunting those areas. But, again, if you can find that area with a you know, the right age pines uh, as they're growing up along with having, you know, solid access, getting in and out cleanly, but also having the compounding terrain features as well. You know, the saddles, benches, you know, crow's foot, um, social hub, all kind of coming together. And you're going to have a spot that not only should there be, a, you know, deer in the area, but you should be able to get all those deer in a hunting situation to be able to make something happen. And that's the exciting part, talking about like Josh's driver, and that's something we're going to take to heart as well this summer, kind of finding those areas. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I went back and listened to Josh's episode and a couple others, and it was cool to listen to like a couple episodes from last season, especially being that, you know, like we produce this podcast and we can go back and listen to ourselves. It was cool to go back and listen to me and you interview some of these people, but also some of the hunts. Uh, where me and you recorded in the field, you know, with Mark or Tyler or uh, Michael. Uh, and it was neat to, like, really, like, see my mindset from back then because it's like I, you forget things about certain hunts or you forget things that you were struggling with at the moment, um, which I guess that's – we're kind of fortunate because that's almost like a journal uh, in a way because I can go back and listen to that and I can, you know – hear what I was asking these guests and what I was complaining about screwing up all the time to you in the, in the outros. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I was having trouble with that. And it's something I like completely forgot about, uh, until I listened to that. So that's, uh, that's definitely a reason to keep a journal this year. If that's not something you've done in the past, cause I feel like it's going to make a difference for me this year. Yeah. I think one thing that was important for you and then we'll kind of get back on topic of like, you know, summer scouting kind of, what we're going to be looking for as well this year, but um, you know, how much your season kind of turned around after having some close calls early season, but started applying things that you were learning from the podcast from guests we had and literally did like a 180 in a very short period of time, yeah. um, <laughs> which is amazing. Cause again, when you apply stuff that you can learn and just go out there with the, you know, the, the simple knowledge that, you know, most of us have, especially you just kind of understanding maps and everything. Um, it is amazing on how quick you can turn something around for yourself, but by just finding those deer, but also just getting in there and be able to execute, you know, what you're looking at on the map to like what you're seeing on the ground. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of guys, myself included in the past, again, talking from personal experience, you find something on the map, like, Oh, this looks awesome. You get there on the ground and you're like, either you can't find what you were looking for, or even like on Onyx or whatever, you're like, this doesn't look nearly like what I thought it would be. 
Mm-hmm. But now, with our experience of knowing what we're looking for ahead of time, you know, vegetation-wise, finding on the map, we can go in there and already have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like, which I think oh, is yeah. you know is a, is a huge, um, you know, morale booster going in there like okay I, I know what i'm getting myself into but also i think it gives you way more confidence and hunt you hunt more confident when you can you know get to that level of just understanding your area and your vegetation in your area mm-hmm. yeah yeah man um so let's talk about vegetation a little bit that's probably going to be one of the biggest things which again i mean kind of beating a dead horse here but thickets you know um this this off season, I'm going to try and do a really good job of locating thickets that I think are going to really hold deer this fall. Um, and I'm going to try and locate a whole bunch of them. So when one of them inevitably gets screwed up, I've got several fallbacks that I can, that I can go back on. Um, so I think that over the course of the summer, I'm just going to be kind of map scouting a whole bunch. And then I'll take a Saturday here and there and just go out and, I mean, not even walk into them, really. I mean, maybe go walk around them a little bit, just see what old sign is there. But just to go look at the actual thicket and be like, yes, this is going to be, this is going to be good this fall. It's not just like thick in the summertime and then when the leaves drop, everything clears out. Um, so, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that about identifying a thicket that's going to be good this coming fall? Because that's something that we've touched on. But what makes a thicket? What what can you uh let's see how can you identify a thicket that's going to still be thick enough to hold deer when the leaves drop? Great question. Actually, that's what I was going to ask you if you were going to end it a little earlier on that question. Is <laughs> you know when you're going out there again one big one I think huge advantage that we have in this area versus some place that's you know you're hunting a lot of you know deciduous forests a lot of you know hardwoods is you know with pines. You know, there's not a whole bunch going to change as in, um, you know, the canopy structure. There's, there's really nothing that's going to change. So that being said, when it comes to looking at stuff on the ground, you're looking for, you know, plants. And again, I am not the expert on, you know, <laughs> different types of plants. That is Andrew and Mark Turner. Again, Mark, if he ever listens, you know, he probably make fun of me every time I just bring it up. Uh, like, get, look, look for for this one because of how no, it is no but it well that's why i think i'm more relatable with most guys listening to this podcast that's I think true most guys that's that true. listen to this podcast really not necessarily they don't care but i don't think they get that deep in the weeds because personally i don't necessarily it's not that i want don't want to get that deep in the weeds is this i'd rather learn how to kill a deer than learn okay what is that deer eating right there i just okay what's up what's the leaves look like okay i can go find it other places cool <laughs> uh, that's true that's true. And I, and I found that a couple of years ago in one of those areas. But, again, I think one thing that's important for us in this area to find, talking to South where you're hunting a lot of pines, is areas that have um, a lot of sunlight coming in. That's going to be key to growing something very, very thick. It's, you know, there's, there's places I've been to that had, um, you know, slut-cut pines or something, but it was a lot of uh, like saplings, like, like sweet gun saplings, especially sweet gum. And it looks extremely thick in the summertime. And sometimes it's thick in the fall, but a lot of times, especially when the leaves come off those sweet gums, it's fairly open in those areas. One thing I think that we're kind of focusing more on is places that have much more grass and briars and, um, you know, um, like blackberry bushes, stuff that's very viney that has a lot of 
thick, thick, thick covering the ground. The problem is in the summertime, a lot of times, a lot of that looks very similar. But the, my goal in the summertime is I, there's no way to physically penetrate it for the most part in the summertime. Like yeah. that's, that's what you're going to want to find because in the fall, when that kind of, a lot of that dies off, it's still going to be very, very thick. But that's where those deer are going to kind of stay secluded. A lot of places you find like right now, like big creek bottoms that are just kind of thick and lush, but it's lush. It's not going to be like that in the fall. Yeah, um, that's a good point, man. Again, if it's lush, if the definition when you look at it, it's like, oh, that looks lush. That's not where the deer it's is all going to die. Yeah. Exactly. That's a that's a really good point, man. That's a yeah. And I we I think okay. Have I talked about this before? Where we put the camera on the bed and we left it from like midsummer to November. Yeah, only about twenty five times before, but let's do it at twenty six. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's a good point for sure. There's this huge bed worn out, I mean, worn to the dirt. It's still, I think, the heaviest bed I've ever found in the south, not even just in Alabama. Like, worn down to the dirt up against this log, straight up what, like, what you get all jacked up to go and find when you watch a bunch of hunting beast videos. And I found this bed. Uh, Me and my buddy Zach went back in there, stuck a camera on it, left it from, like, mid to late summer all the way through November. And uh, there were several bucks. There's like a 10-point, a couple little bucks, um, and a couple does over the course of, you know, I don't know, the three or four months that the leaves were on that used it. And this is like a thick area. It's a very thick area. Uh, And another thing I'll note is none of the deer use the bed very often. And I don't even know if any of them used it more than once except maybe one of the spikes. But anyways, uh, so several deer use this bed, bucks and does. Then the leaves dropped in late October, and then the there was not a single deer that came through there after that. So that's what really got our wheels turning on this. We're like, you know, this was good cover, and, and they were using it. They weren't, you know, beating it to death, but they were using it. But then when the leaves dropped, they totally abandoned it, um, which made me think of, like, instead of thinking of, like, early season or, you know, you got early season, which I would describe as like leaf on, and then late season, which is leaf off. So it's like, man, that just goes to show that when the leaves drop, stuff just changes. And we saw the same thing last year when I killed my buck uh, because I killed him not too long after the leaves dropped because uh, they hold on pretty late down here. And uh, down in the creek bottoms, we were finding some deer sign but the creek bottoms were wide open, and there was just like there were. It's like they were void of life. I mean, the deer just weren't using them that much. And uh, I killed my buck up in the thicket that was still thick. And what you said about sunlight availability is definitely going to be the determining factor. Whether you're dealing with pines or hardwoods or cedars or fir trees or whatever you got in your area, if there's sunlight making it through the canopy, there's going to be stuff growing at ground level, and if you could kind of narrow it down to a couple things, back me up on this. Cause I think that you'd agree with me. It seems like everywhere where we get on deer and specifically bucks, it's like viney. There's yep. always vines there. You know, it could be honeysuckle what? or, or, um, crap. What are some other ones? Muscadine, just like, just a tangle of vines, not like one vine, but it's like everything has vines all over it. And it seems like the deer just love it for some reason. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, the areas, let me say this, in the areas that we found deer that are the, like, when you're seeing them, they're extremely comf- like, comfortable in their surroundings. They don't feel like they're wired um, 
are very or areas that are very thick like that. You know, lots of vines uh, mixed with a lot of briars. Um, and it's just again, it's an area that it's hard to walk through quietly. And I feel like the deer, especially some of the older bucks, have a lot of confidence in those areas. Um, from not not necessarily like a, a smelling uh, deterrent factor, but really so they can hear something coming or see something coming. Because walking through it, there's at least in my experience, when something walks through there, it's not only you're seeing the animal walking, you're seeing the stuff it's walking through move. Oh yeah. So it's like a visual. I feel like it's a visual, but also um, it's a visual kind of safety reason, uh, along with, of course, food source. You know, earlier in the season and also later in the season because some of that stuff stays green. Um, this is a, a lot of different reasons those deer are in there, and that's absolutely I think the case is like those those areas that are extremely viney are places that you know if it's vines growing, it's normally going to be thick as crap, and uh, there's going to be deer in there that's going to feel very at home in that stuff. Yeah, and going to like. You know, building your woodsmanship skills a little bit. If you're going into an area and you're seeing that most of the plants that are, you know, a thicket forming plant, which could be anything that, you know, is low to the ground and obstructs vision, but any of the plants that are at ground level, you know, from, you know, ankle to chest high that are obstructing vision, if you can look at those plants and determine, like, is this a deciduous plant? So are these like oak saplings? Are they sumac? Um, like what, is it something that is going to drop its leaf when, when the leaves drop? And then also like just the number of, the number of stems in like a certain area. So if you've got like, let's say you've got a, um, five foot round circle, you know, like a little plot, you've got a five foot plot right there in front of you. And in that plot, you've got like 12 saplings and they're oak saplings and they're all leafed out and they're really thick and you got to push your way through them and you can't see past them you're like oh man this is thick of crap but then you know you could uh in that same circle you could put like who knows how many uh like blackberry shoots and you could put some vines on that think about like the actual number of stems on like 15 blackberry um shoots or uh i don't know like 10 um uh, 10 honeysuckle vines going through there versus a couple little oak saplings and when the oak saplings drop their leaves you know the stems are all that's left and there's not that many stems you can see through it that's kind of a complicated way of explaining it but it's kind of a good way basically the stuff that's going to die back is there's still enough stuff to the plant that's going to obstruct vision when the fall comes i feel like that's that's kind of a good way of looking at it yeah i agree i mean Really, it's just finding thick, nasty cover. And again, if, if your first word when you look at it is like, oh, it looks lush, it's probably not the greatest thing you're looking at. Again, it might look great now, but, you know, come October, especially in the November, it's going to change quite a bit. Uh, and along with the deer kind of shifting areas that they feel uncomfortable, you know, being in. It's kind of like, again, going back to Josh Driver, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to become, right now it might be positive terrain where the deer are wanting to be will turn into negative terrain once the leaves come down and that cover really kind of becomes more isolated in some areas. Mm. Um, so those deer are kind of concentrated in, in these pockets where that thick covers at, or you might find an area that is large and vast of that thick cover that those deer feel very comfortable in, which again, is gonna be hard for you to pinpoint them, but that's where those deer are going to want to be again, once leaf uh, drop happens. 
Um, and again, that's kind of goes back to the whole thing of, you know, positive, negative um, terrain for where the deer are located. Again, negative terrain is a place that, as Josh Driver explains it, is a place that deer do not necessarily want to be at during daylight hours. And then positive terrain is where you can find them all day long for the most part. And again, you know, his personal experience is, is in that thick, nasty covers where you'll find deer moving all day long through that stuff. Uh, so that's really what you want to focus on. Again, now this is a little bit different. You know, if you're a guy that's hunting, um, you know, areas that areas of the country that open up very early, you know, early, opening up in like early September, you know, you can find deer probably the first week or two of the season in areas that, you know, come October and mid-October, they're probably not going to be there anymore. So that you're going to have a little bit more of a switch. Now in Alabama, you know, us opening, you know, middle of October, they're pretty much already on that transition they're already moving they're already you know going towards that uh that thicker cover uh by that time uh, just because you know by that time a lot of stuff is also normally pretty dry in august and september uh so a lot of that lushness has kind of you know died down a little bit as well um so it's just a lot of different factors kind of playing to it but again if you look for those large features that kind of bring your eye to the to the table when you look at the map like what we're talking about you know either finding you know, that certain age cut uh, or those pines are going to hold a deer along with the different terrain features. Um, you should be able to find deer throughout the whole season and have success. And that's why I'm excited about this year's. Again, we did that last year. After we talked to all the guests, I think that's going to be the biggest factor for us this year to get and stay on deer all season long. But not only just get stay on deer, but finding those older age class bucks. Because that's the one thing, um, you know, I think we're both kind of striving for this year is finding some older, better representation deer of these areas. And we know they're there because we know guys that kill them every year. So. Oh yeah. So yeah, the thicket, I mean, that's just like such a cornerstone of all this, but we'll get into like, obviously we'll get into hunting thickets as we start getting more guests on and everything. And, but right now, you know, summer scouting, really just trying to find stuff and kind of my, one of my philosophies going into this is outside of rut stands slash gun stands, uh, I'm not really trying to find like the tree I'm going to hunt out of in the summer. It's just, you know, I'll, I'll go to some cutovers where, you know, you can still see in the cutover really good. And I'll probably go ahead and prep some trees knowing that when the rut rolls around, that's going to be like a killer gun spot with the right wind. I'll probably do that. But as far as the rest of the season goes, I'm not planning on trying to prep individual trees. I'm just wanting to go and find areas that are probably going to hold deer and then kind of my philosophy with it this year is going to be, you know, I've got all these different areas where I think deer are going to be hanging around. And, you know, if one doesn't work out, I can go to the next one or find big areas like you were talking about, you know, like maybe a large cutover or some kind of like large area with a lot of thickets in it um, with really good access. So I can hit it from a bunch of different angles depending on wind directions uh, and really leave most of the most of the like quote unquote figuring out of the deer uh for during deer season because that's when you know you get your most useful information anyway so you know find the areas right now and then just wait until the deer season to really get in there and start figuring them out per se uh because it's like i said every year i go in and i scout hard in the summer trying to learn what they do and they they're never doing the same thing in the fall so it's like pretty much wasted time in my experience yeah, and I think we really need to get Adrian Farley back on, uh, which I know he was a popular guest. I think we've had him on twice so far. Um, he has a very, very interesting tactic for scouting during the summer where he drives roads with a, with a 
old fashioned topo map, big old, I mean, huge paper map, dude, giant paper map um, of the national forest and sits down and breaks down his thoughts on how he knows he can find deer from certain terrain features, topographical features and vegetation types that he can come back in, you know, late November going into December uh, and have success in those areas. And again, not far from the road at all, uh, which is really, really cool. But again, he's hunting it. He's doing it to me the right way is in, He's not care. He doesn't care what the deer sign looks like now. He's looking at where the deer are going to be moving to come November and December. That's that's his whole thought process. And I feel like that's been our issue in the past. Is I'm like, okay, this place has a lot of deer sign now, a lot of tracks and all that kind of stuff. Well, come October, that's not the case. Or come November, that's not the case. Come December, that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you can find old buck sign right now, but still, you know, I think the biggest factor is where do the deer want to stay at majority of their day because they're not sitting in their bed majority of the day where do they want to be at find those areas learn around those areas the different access points and maybe heck start putting some cameras out and and find those deer as they start transitioning to them more so and just stay on the deer the whole season i mean that's what josh driver talks about that's what we've had a lot of other guests talk about and that's one thing i really want us to try to focus on this this summer and i think a lot of guests as well or i mean a lot of listeners as well is kind of look at that you know look at the whole map as a whole not looking like you said for specific trees that you're going to hunt out of but look at okay where are these deer wanting to stay at majority of their day you know you know in october in november in december in january if your season's still open uh, and so on find those areas and learn everything around those areas. So come hunting season, you can come in there. And again, like you said, the best time to learn what the deer are doing is during hunting season. In season scouting is, is such a huge key. And again, it's helped us, helped us in the past, helped a lot of our guests in the past. And um, that's going to be super important, but just find those areas in general that those deer want to be in and just, you know, make a move on them. And did, again, just look, thinking about this and looking at the maps of the areas that we've been hunting, that's what's got me extremely excited about this year <laughs> is using like what we're talking about now for this fall. Again, it's, it's, again, that's exciting. I'm excited about that as I am about catching all these freaking bluegill and these, uh, <laughs> shell crackers. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, another good thing to do in the summertime is, uh, take a look at last year's pressure. You know, if you're, if you're hunting a parcel for, you know, if you've hunted it in years past and you've got some um, some experience on it and you kind of know where that pressure comes from, maybe do, uh, you know, if you, again, you got the time in the summer. It's not like you're burning a hunt or anything. You know, take a Saturday, one Saturday this summer. I, I'll tell you what, I need to do this especially, and I, you probably do too. I, this This should be a challenge. We should challenge ourselves and people to do this. This summer, take one Saturday and go to the place that you hunt and go hardcore scout like the worst looking areas on the map where you're just like, I would never try to hunt that. Maybe it's like behind a dumpster or something or just in a spot that you always overlook and just go check it out. Um, just out of like the pure principle of, you know, if there's no hunting pressure there, then, you know, there's a good chance a nice buck could be hanging out in the area if you're on a high pressure parcel. So maybe it's like a little tiny woodlot um maybe it's by like some uh oh dude listen i already i already know this area i know exactly where i want to go i almost said brutal oh i almost (laughs) said something and i i I did not say it because it would be a dead giveaway of where i'm talking about people would know instantly but you probably know uh what 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 are you thinking about can you say it uh um 
I'm trying to think. How can I explain it? Um, areas where I'm trying to like, how how can I explain this? Um, it's a place that has a lot of vines, a lot of kudzu. Um, oh, ex- ex- extremely thick. I mean, to the point, and also just the terrain. It's like, how do I get in there to hunt? I mean, I've looked at it from all four directions, and it's like, I try. I know uh, where you're talking about. Where you saw that doe last year? Does oh yeah yeah and oh, I was yeah, like mm. yeah yeah yeah. And, I tried I'm walking sh- into that last year one time. It was brutal. Oh, I don't know how you could. And the thing is, it's a perfect area. It's just a place like what we're talking about, guys. It's extremely viney. I mean, it's unbelievably thick. I mean, it's thick enough with the vegetation. It's got a lot of kudzu, which you know, pretty much anybody in the south is going to know what that is. If you're from other parts of the country, uh, Andrew, can you explain kudzu for us? Kudzu is a plant. I'm pretty sure it's from Asia, and yep. it eats everything. It gets all over everything, and it grows. It's like a vine that engulfs everything. And so you'll have like a like a nice lush hillside, you know, one year, and then the kudzu gets on it, and then the next year it's literally complete. It's like a mat of kudzu. It's crazy. It eats it. So yep. yeah, it's terrible. Deer will, deer will eat it, and I've seen it quite a bit, and we've seen it on our farm a bit as well. But again, in the fall when it dies, because it grows extremely fast, I think it grows. Someone don't hold me to it, but I, I think it grows. I think it's like six. It could grow at its peak in the summer, like close to like six inches a day, which I don't even. I can't even comprehend that. But I've seen it at the farm where you come through, you bush hog a trail, and within a week, there's no trail there no more. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It, it's it's ridiculous, but. Early season deer will eat. The problem is in the fall when it dies, and this is what makes that place tough. When it dies, it becomes very brittle and very um, um, like crunchy. Like it's 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 weird. It's like a big mat of brown. And when you're walking it through it, first off, you can't see your feet because you're going through it. So it's a great place for snakes to be at. <laughs> um, and and also, I mean, gopher gopher holes. I mean, you could break a leg so easy just walking through that stuff. Because, I mean, it's going to be, you know, thigh deep or, or deeper. But it's so loud. I don't know how you can get through some of that stuff to go and try to find a buck on the backside of it. Yeah. Um, well, dude, it's like last summer uh, where I filmed that monster buck. Um, he was living in a bunch of kudzu. He was living in stuff where, I mean, to walk, you can't walk through it. I mean, you you really, truly can't walk through it. You have to have, like, a machete or something to get through that stuff. And that's where I filmed that that really big one. You remember that one? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that was a huge deer, man. I never even really got to hunt that thing. I hunted him one time. I got one good wind direction and went in there one weekend to hunt him, and I saw nothing. That was depressing. Yep. Well, again, you know, those are the areas that I think. God, I don't know. I don't really. I don't want to go scout that right now. I don't know how you could scout the area I was talking about. Really, that's one I mean, of those things where it's just, at the end of the day, you, you just need to, like, I don't know, take a morning and just punch in there. I mean, literally take a machete and, like, try to get in there. Snake boots. Oh, God. I'm, I'm, I got chills to think about it. Oh, no, <laughs> sir. Oh, God. Yeah. Hey, oh. that'd be a good spot, though, for sure. I mean, just just areas like that, going in and checking it Listen. out. Uh, 100,000% overlooked. I have never in my entire life of hunting out there ever seen a vehicle parked anywhere in that area. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's just not well, a thing. And 
I didn't walk to where the exact spot you're talking about, but I walked past it uh, and mm-hmm. got into some of those hardwoods back there. And my goodness, the feed sign. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was crazy. It well, was I've, nuts. Well, I've talked to you because I've hunted on like the backside of that stuff. If you if you come in from an access point, not super far off the road at all, you, you can. there's some little hardwoods in there. And it was super, super thick on the top of the ridge sides on each side of the ridge. Uh, you know, this was, you know, pines. But there was a couple of white oaks in there. And I was telling you, that was, I don't know, it was last year, two years ago. And I was like, I was there like a week or two late. It was probably like fourth, fifth week of the season. And that was a place like, I'm like, I need to be here like the first week or two of season uh, on these big white oaks. I mean, in an isolated spot, there's no other, you know, oaks in that area. Um, and I'm telling you, like, dude, if you get a shot in there, it's going to be close, man. I mean, you're going to have to get up probably 15 feet up in the tree and your farthest shot. If it's downhill, it might be 25 yards, but most likely they're underneath the oaks, which is about where you have to hang anyways. Um, you know, you're looking at a shot like probably sub 12, 15, 15 yards or so, under 15 yards for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I can't wait to scout that kind of stuff too. Uh, just overlook, overlooked areas, man. I can't wait. Um, so, another thing, um, talking about like vegetation and that kind of stuff. We mentioned earlier compounded features. So, what what's an example of something you're going to try and find this year when it comes to like like a compounded feature or something like that? So, number one is going to be the first feature that is take being taken into consideration is vegetation. It's got to be the right stuff. It's got to be the right thickness that the deer are holding in. That's very hard to hunt. So that's number one. Number two is one or two things either a high spot in that or a low draw or something cutting through it okay one of the two things kind of adding to it and then kind of a you know a, another great circumstance kind of another compounding feature with all that is if you can find a situation like you where you find like a bench you know coming across from a low spot into that stuff into that thickness that is a great little, you know, corridor that those deer can kind of slip through, you know, while moving around is just a, a bonus. But really, it to me, it all, um, what's the, well, I'm trying to think the right term for it. Uh, it all kind of rotates around, you know, finding that thick cover and then finding the terrain features to kind of go with it. I think one of the biggest things is finding like a really, really steep draw going up to that thick cover that the deer aren't necessarily crossing the draw but they're probably going to use the edge of that draw kind of going up and down uh, that thick cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's going to be key. And I've, again, I've had success doing that in the past, especially early season, you know, in these areas. Um, But just finding stuff like that, finding stuff that the deer are going to want to come to. Because the problem is you look at a map on some of these, you know, some of these big cuts and you're like, it's so vast, especially during bow season. How can I get in a spot where that deer is going to come within, you know, 25, 30, you know, at least 30 yards. There's not many places you can shoot in these areas past 30 yards if you're hunting fit. Yeah. Um, and it's tough, dude. It, it is tough. But, hey, I mean, you had success with it last year. I mean, I had success, I've had success with it as well. Um, but let me kind of turn that question back to you. What is something that you're going to be looking for when it comes to compounding features, especially for, like, focusing on this summer that then we'll be able to relate with this coming fall? So uh, I think actually Wednesday I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to go to the area, one of the areas that me and you talked about earlier, um, where close to where I killed my buck, uh, where Michael's camera was, like that general area. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go in there, 
I'm going to look at that thicket again. I drove by it last time I was up there, um, and it still looks pretty good. I think, like we talked about before, I think this is the last good year we're going to get out of it. It's right there. At, I think this year it's nine years old, uh, that cutover. So, I mean, it's got big pines in it now. Again, we probably shouldn't use the term cutover, but, you know, we kind of we kind of go by the age of cutovers, and it's like on the threshold of not, like, you cannot refer to it as a cutover anymore. Like, it's starting to become a pine stand and not a cutover. Um, and just in our own terminology. I guess that makes some foresters cringe, I'm sure. But anyways, I'm going to go out there, and I'm just going to kind of poke around that thicket a little bit and just kind of see what the interior of it looks like because there's parts of it that you can walk into now uh where it seem kind of open so i'm gonna go in there and see what it looks like and i may i'm, I'm basically gonna go and look for terrain features inside of that kind of like what you're talking about so the the cover is still good uh and it's the summer so i'm just gonna take you know like a machete and my snake boots and i'm gonna go beating through that cut uh through the thick stuff and i'm gonna look for saddles inside of it i've actually already got like three or four features picked out inside of it that i'm going to go look at there's there's one saddle or actually technically two saddles i'm going to look at and then there's two or three spots on the very edge where there's like a knob that comes out um Mm -hmm. off the ridge and then the very the end of that knob drops very sharply or just you know somewhere and you can look at it on the topo map and you know your pines or are going to be on top most of the time. And, you know, when it drops to the bottom, you're, that's where your hardwoods are going to be. Well, right there on that edge, on that military crest where it drops real steep, your topo lines stack up really tight. Or if you're using Cal Topo in the slope angle shading, it shows up as yellow or red. I'm going to go look at those spots um, and just see if there's a way that I can get basically the same way that I killed my buck last year. I can get in a tree right on the edge and look down into those pines right there up against that that really sharp feature uh, that's going to be funneling deer um just anything that could funnel them within that that one feature um that's going to be the main things i'm looking at for sure outside of that i'm going to be looking for more of a not necessarily terrain features within these cuts but actually more of a vegetation features. So like, again, the fingers running up into some of these cuts, little hardwood fingers that run up through there. Uh, I actually found one really interesting spot that I can't wait to check out. Uh, there's a cut and there's a low spot running through this cut. And this cut is in its, it was cut in 2015. So it's a younger, it's on the younger side, still open enough that you can gun hunt it pretty easily. And within this cut, there's actually a little pond in it. And this pond has got some uh, decent-sized trees around it. I mean, they cut right next to the pond. So I'm going to go check out that pond and just see what it's looking like and see what the trees around it look like. But where the two hillsides drop down to this pond, you've got, you know, your regular pine thicket-type vegetation where, you know, you got you got your grasses and your briars and you got vines and you got some young pine trees that are maybe maybe half as tall as you are, maybe a little bit more now. Uh, but... Once you get down closer to that pond where it starts getting more moist, you're going to have like much thicker vegetation. And I found some spots towards the end of last year and situations a lot like that where the, the deer were just stacked up in those little draws where, where there was more moisture, you know, leading to thicker vegetation and more lush vegetation uh, throughout the fall. 
where they were just hanging out on that stuff. So I'm going to go check that out and see if it's going to be a similar situation. Um, but that, as far as compounding features go, that's probably going to be what the main things I'm looking for this summer. Yeah. Well, is there anything else, you know, I think we talked about cameras a little bit earlier, but what do you want to do this fall or really this summer when it comes to like running cameras? I know we and you have talked a little bit about it, but you know, what's kind of the game plan for running trail cameras uh, and for what reasons? I mean, is it to locate specific deer, just locate deer in general, or just kind of get a lay of the land? You know, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm still trying to decide. Um, part of me, I really want to do Josh Driver's thing and also Jeff Homan's thing. Uh, and I want to start putting cameras out. Maybe not quite yet um, because we know some people that hunt that same property who – um, post pictures on Facebook of like trail camera pictures they do. And mm-hmm. you probably know who I'm talking about, Jacob. One fella actually uploaded a bunch today and the bucks they're they're starting to, you know, they're starting to fill out decent, but you know, they're still kind of nubby looking. So I'm not going to put cameras out just yet. It's still a little early just cause there's not much to look at as far as antlers go. You can't really tell what they are yet, but maybe in about a month, I'm going to start putting some cameras out and I do want to try and locate like a big buck and and stay on him and find like a buck to hunt this fall. Um but I don't know. I say that I think it's going to be hard to like stick with the deer. I'm going to try it. But I'm just afraid of uh getting cameras on like a really big deer and then like getting obsessed with it and then that deer like ruining my season cuz I keep trying to kill it and it like moves out of the property or something. I don't know. What what are your thoughts? That could happen. I'm actually looking at those photos that the guy posted um, from what you were saying. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, I'd like to run them. You know, it would be good, I think, to get an idea of the representation of the bucks in the area. You know, if you can find a couple of really solid deer. I, have, I, I don't think going after specific deer is an issue. I think it's when you get so obsessed that you start doing stuff, you know, a little bit stupid of like you're not hunting the area like you normally would if you're just kind of going in there, you know, being a little more general, um, especially when it comes to like wind direction, stuff like that. But I think finding a buck that you can kind of target, I think would be a fun challenge to see if you can kind of, you know, overcome that and, and you know, be successful on it. Uh, that being said, I think, if not being able to kill it, you learn what does that buck do throughout the season, especially if you have them on multiple different trail cameras. And we kind of use Josh drivers again, talking about Josh driver, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, once he, he locates a solid deer that he, I mean, he puts out a bunch of cameras in that area to try to find out exactly what that buck is doing in that, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 acre little spot on that piece of public, uh, you know, part of his core. So I think doing that would be fantastic, man. And again, maybe not you. Don't, maybe you don't kill that deer. Okay, whatever. But maybe you understand a little bit more of what that deer did during the time change or the changing of the seasons, um, and can kind of use that maybe to your advantage of the following year. Whether you find that deer again or you find another buck of maybe how that deer could possibly act or shift, you know, during the time of the year. Especially you know going there's a, there's normally a pretty large shift from september especially here from september into like early october i feel like there's a pretty big shift of that change um Mm -hmm. and if you can 
follow that deer, kind of like what Josh talks about. If you can follow that deer with your trail cameras through that that shift in the time, and again, other states it might be different. Other states it might be you know August to September. You know there might be a big shift or whatever is going on. But if you can follow that deer through that that changing of the pattern. So when season opens up, you have a, a decent idea of where that deer could possibly be at, what he's been doing. And not only that, but hopefully maybe he's in a bachelor group as well. I think you have a pretty good success early on having success. Now, later in the season, dude, I'd be very, very interested to, on like targeting food sources with your camera, mm-hmm. especially like very close to thickets, and then finding bucks coming to that area and then backtracking him like Jeff, like, uh, uh, Jeff Homie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty awesome. This summer, we're lucky because we can glass on this property that me and you are going to be hunting. So I'm going to be glassing a lot to locate. Well, actually, we, we can glass on a couple different properties, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, this um, is very true. This is very true. So You can glass yeah. on a lot of properties, man, now that I'm kind of thinking about it. The more hilly it is, the, the better off you are because you have a better chance of you know being able to see like an opposite hillside somewhere if you got like a lot of cuts in your area or... Or like a power line. If you can find like a big, deep valley that a, a power line runs across, and you know, glass down the power line or the gas line or whatever, that's pretty slick. But I mean, even in you know flatter areas, just any like large open area you have, you could glass it um, in the evenings and the late summer, and you can come up with some good stuff. Yeah, it might have to stand in the bed of the truck, but yeah, do, do what you gotta do. I mean, it works. I mean, the the buck I killed uh, the year before last. We we glassed that area a whole bunch and got a pattern mm-hmm. on the deer. You missed a buck there, and then I killed a buck there. Hold on. You remember which mm-hmm. one I'm talking about? Where did I miss a buck? You missed it. Oh. You thought he was way closer <laughs> than he than he was. Not the one last huh. year, but the, the, the year before that where I killed the oh, buck. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about last year. Okay, gotcha. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was an area of a, of a. That's an example of an area we glassed and all that kind of stuff. But. Very good point. Yes, you're 100. percent Yeah, because that. Yeah, you can glass for very, very long ways there. And very good point, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Hey, that's a place we gotta take your your new little rifle out, man. Oh, oh, I can't. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't. Wait. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Um. By the way, that reminds me this year. Um, with the whole trail camera thing. I want to, one thing I really, really do actually want to do this year is, again, like, find maybe not even an individual bed, but, like, a bedding area. You know how you can sometimes find, like, a little knob that's got, you know, a couple different beds on it and just some, in some thick cover? Mm -hmm. I want to find a spot like that and put a camera either on several beds at once, like, hang it up where it's overlooking several beds put it on one well-used bed or maybe like a very specific trail within a thicket and just leave it there. Like put it out in, um, I don't know, like September or something and just leave it all year and get it literally in like February. You know, stick some like really good lithium batteries in it and just leave it out there for a long time. And do, I really want to do some of those like yearly uh, soaks where – you know, I'll have my cameras that are out and they're doing their thing and I'm checking them throughout the season, but have those certain cameras that just never get messed with all year and they're just straight up, you know, like learning cameras. Yeah, I think for you to be successful with those, is like actually get something out of it, it would need to be like some kind of 
prominent bedding area inside of one of these extremely thick areas. Uh, kind of like where Michael had his camera. Um, you know, just some of these real, real thick areas that you can run a camera all year long. Not only because the deer are going to be in there, but also, you know, keep away from other people possibly running up on the camera. Uh, but also, going back to what I just said, the deer are going to be in there. Because uh, that's going to be key. Because you don't want to put it in a spot that, again, you find beds in the summertime and that deer's not within half a mile of where he's bedding in the summertime versus where he's going to be in the fall. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, man, that and I'm just <sighs> – this summer, I'm going to put a huge emphasis on on scouting access, especially. Uh, How so? How so? Because okay, we've talked about this before. I have a problem where, after all these years of you know hunting content that I've both produced and consumed, uh, you know, just from various sources on this podcast, you know, people that we've interviewed. It's really been drilled into our heads for a long time. Like, oh, you got to go far. You got to go to these really hard to access areas. And I love doing that. And there's like a certain adventure to it that really adds to that experience. And it's a, it's, it's about more than just, you know, the buck I'm after. It's also about, you know, going to the area that I go to that was hard to get to. And there's like a sense of accomplishment and like getting to that area and hunting it. But I waste a lot and I mean a lot of time, like fighting through brush and climbing mountains and crossing creeks and everything where it's like literally biting into my hunting time. So this year, I want to find more... I, okay, I'll, I'll put it this way. Where in years past, I might have like 10 or 15 different areas I can hunt, but I can only hunt them in specific conditions. Like, oh, I can only access this one spot when there's a north wind and I have to go a mile in there to it. Uh, you know, I'll have like, you know, 10 or 15 of those spots where this year I want to have like three or four areas. And by areas, I mean three or four central thickets, basically like central, um, features like big cutovers or just some kind of thick area that's going to hold deer have three or four of those where I have good access from almost all angles where I can easily get in and out and, and hunt that place. And maybe some angles are not so easy to access, but I can still access them, but I can still hunt that certain feature on pretty much any wind direction. So I'm not that way. I'm like forcing myself to not bounce around that as much. Um, I can, I can stay in these areas and learn more and more about this spot as I hunt through the season uh, and just kind of build on, build on my knowledge of the spot throughout the year. Because like I said, in years past, I might have these spots that are just dynamite slam dunk spots, but if I can only hunt it on, you know, a northeast wind and I only get like three chances to hunt that wind in a whole month, then I'm not really learning a whole lot about that area. I might go in and kill on one of the sits, but, you know, if I don't kill, I'm not learning enough to really have a lot of confidence to go in on the next hunt, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think with you living back up here, us being able to put in more man days in certain areas to learn kind of more together. Kind of like, I mean, what y'all were doing last year with Mike, um, I think that's going to be huge as well. And like, like you said, like have a couple specific areas of target that are large enough that you can bounce around inside those areas from different access points, but you can still have a good idea of not only possibly seeing some of the same deer, you know, from different areas that you're sitting, but also, you know, have an idea of what those deer are doing, on a more consistent basis just from you know your personal um site 
but also, you know, from, you know, me or Michael or anyone else out there. Uh, so I think that would be a really good point. That's really, something really to think about. I think that's one big advantage of hunting with like a group of guys or like hunting, or at least have a hunting partner that you're not necessarily going on a hunt together. Cause dude, you and me have, you know, when we first met, we hunted quite a bit together, but like over the last like two years, we've only set like actually on a hunt together only a few times. Yeah. Um, I think we only did it tw- twice last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and really only technically it was really only one time it was the freaking ground blind. So <laughs> 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 we actually like sat together. Oh, that was nice. Uh, that was a good hunt. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, having some guys that you can trust that you can go in and break down a property together, I feel like will help you out, help each one out, you know, that much more because you're got more man days on the property. You can, you know, trade information, scout together, stuff like that. And it, to me, you're just more effective like that. You know, there are guys out there that love to be like, you know, the whole, like, you know, they want to be a lone wolf and everything go in by themselves and stuff. That That's fine. It's cool. But I feel like you learn so much more when you hunt with, you know, a group of guys. Um, again, not necessarily like you're all sitting together, but you're kind of covering the ground. You're relaying to each other what's going on. And I believe like you're, you know, you as the group are just more successful when you do that. Hey, I'll tell you what. Here's another thing that I, um, that I forgot about until I started working on this big project I'm doing is my buck last year when I killed that thing. And like I said earlier, when we relocated, one of the reasons that I went to the general area that I ended up going to like that one basically ridge that I ended up killing the buck on is because me and you were talking about the area and you drove past it. Like, I think you were on your way out um, from hunting one morning or something. And you went and you drove past that area and you're like, Hey, yeah, there's a bunch of tracks crossing this road, you know, heading into that general area. I was like, okay, cool. And I went in there like, the next day and uh killed that buck in there that afternoon uh so that's an example i mean like when you're talking about having trusted hunting friends you were able to go in there and confirm that there were deer using the area and i was able to use that information to you know not necessarily pick the exact spot but pick a you know i don't know an isolated ridge that i wanted to go hunt based on that information and i killed a buck because of it well, that and also remember when we looked at the map, there is there's a specific. Um, there's a very specific feature running through this cut. Well, yeah, but it's and it runs exactly from where I saw the tracks to where you shot that deer. You're like, okay, that looks like a pretty good area to go set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, that's another thing in these thickets. That's something that uh, might not be too bad to scout over the summer. Is it when you are looking at an aerial photo of a cutover or something? And there's a f- some like very specific feature within that thing, whether it be like a high knob within that cut, or an old logging trail that goes within that cut, or a patch of dead trees, or a wet spot, or anything different in that cut. It just seems like they really gra- uh, gravitate to it, and uh, it'd be interesting to do uh, do the old Michael Pike technique this year and find something in that cut that looks really good and go in and hunt off the ground in the cut. I think that would be the suit. That'd be like such an adrenaline rush, which Michael has killed deer doing that before he's hunted in, you know, young pines on the ground and killed deer like that. Uh, that's like obviously super challenging, but you know, if you're in the right spot, might be a pretty fun thing to do. Yeah. That'd be super sketchy. Oh yeah. It's like, new deer popping up like 
you know, inside of 15, 20 yards of you, like, oh, especially like with the bow, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Let Man. me get drawn back. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, we're a little bit over an hour, so we'll start wrapping this puppy up. Uh, dude, when, okay, let's let's wrap it up with this. First of all, when are me and you going to go scout together? I move up on Tuesday, so two days from now. Move up. When are me and you going to go scout together, and what are we going to go scout? Yeah, that's a great question because I work this whole week and this weekend. We might be able to get out Wednesday, but when it comes to like what we actually could hunt, I'm thinking – uh, or like what we could actually scout is like kind of starting where we were last year, where we ended last year, um, you know, like where you killed your buck, that kind of surrounding area, but also possibly focus a little bit maybe to the east of that and also some stuff farther down the road that's, you know, similar age uh, pines, um, but maybe just a little bit bigger area. There's, there's a lot of things like that that I would love to kind of dive into and just kind of check out access points, but run in there and just confirm that the vegetation is like what we're looking for. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we find the vegetation, there's going to be deer there, like, especially if you have like a solid water source close by, you know, that's already like they're living in a giant, as you could think, like an overgrown food plot. Okay. I mean, yeah. there's so much for them to eat in there. So as long as you have a decent water source in there, uh, it's going to be a home run. But, yeah, that's what I would love to focus on is, like, us drive, cover some ground, and find areas that represent, like, where you killed your buck last year, what you were finding in Georgia, but where we can, you know, map that kind of stuff on other parts of the public land. Yeah. And then start dialing into it and actually start, you know, diving into it. Yeah. uh, You know. Kind of have those – you know, backup spots ready, or, you know, they might end up being better areas than what we were hunting last year. But another thing that you mentioned, um, when me, you and Michael went out, uh, I guess it was last week, um, or the week before that, I can't remember now, but when me, you and Michael were driving around scouting, um, you were talking about going and finding some other areas that are younger than what we've been hunting and finding these cutovers that are you know, either just about to come into their prime or they just hit their prime last year. Uh, so we can kind of either hunt, you know, start to hunt those or just kind of keep an eye on them and keep them in the back of our head for future years. Because, you know, like we said before, the this one area we've been hunting is not going to be good forever. So we're going to have to fall back on some areas. So locating those areas that are going to be good in, in future years is going to be huge for us. Um, it's going to be a huge headache saver in a year or two when we have to fall back on those areas. Yeah, that's one big defining factor for, especially us in our area of the country, is everything's always changing. There's nothing that is ever the same. Unless, the only way I can relate with that is like, okay, like back on our family farm, piece of private ground, there are certain food plots that always have deer because of the, the area around there, okay? Well, on public land, you're not really hunting food plots. I guess you could hunt food plots if you're wanting, but you're hunting surrounded vegetation. The stuff is always changing. Stuff's getting shaded out. Timber companies come in. They're cutting different trees down. Like, you know, some places that I loved to hunt last year, I believe, has been cut this year, uh, which kind of really hurts my feelings quite a bit. (laughs) Um, So you always have to be kind of like, if you can think about like your recruiting spots, that's probably not the best, your prospect, that's the right term. You're prospecting for other spots for in the future, or maybe other spots you can hunt now, but you're looking for places that are coming into their prime. So, Hey, we know in a year, that's where we need to dive into. 
or hey, you know, maybe this later season, hey, it's not working where we're at right now. Let's go try the stuff that's a little bit younger. But hey, maybe the deer are in those areas because maybe it's a little tougher for people to hunt it. And I think if we do that, we're going to set ourselves up for success. You know, you know, two, three, four years down the road. Oh yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I can't wait to get out scout. So, so you, you think you might be able to get out Wednesday afternoon? Uh, maybe Sunday, Sunday, Sunday oh. morning. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, man, I'm ready to get out and do a little bit of scouting. But uh, you got anything else? No, I was gonna say I think that's it. Uh, yeah, thunderstorm rolling in as people can probably hear it now. I'm sitting in the old mobile uh, recording mobile. studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, boys, that wraps us up today. Um, as always, if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review on iTunes. That would be pretty helpful for us. Share us with your buddies. Uh, check out the Southern Outdoors website. We've uh, revamped it a little bit, uh, kind of made it look a little bit better, updated some uh, some of the pages, some of the articles and everything on there, so you can go check that out. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Check out our YouTube channel. And as always, write in with what you want to hear about. We'll be back here again next week, same time, same place, uh, talking about deer again. So hope everybody's staying safe, and I hope you can get out there and uh, scout some deer. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.